Well, it is wonderful to be with you. And I tell you, I didn't have a Kleenex because I didn't expect to cry today. But when we were singing that old hymn, and I know probably five people in the room knew it, the love of God, it just melted me because that's what we're about. And the love, I love it that you've had love revolution this week. Justice revolution, I've been to places, and I'm all about justice too. But justice cannot be done unless it comes from the heart of love. Now, we can talk a lot about love, and I'm sure some people thought, oh, Joanne Lyon's going to come here today, and she's going to guilt us about all the suffering in the world. And I probably would like to do that too. Uh, but you know what? If you care about the global community only because you're guilty, you will do it out of anger. But I want you to care about the global community this morning, first of all, because you're a part of it. And I'll tell you why in a minute. I'll try to answer that question, by the way. But it starts with hope. And hope becomes the tip of the spear for love. And love only happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot work up love. You might for a little while, but you'll get tired. I've seen lots of folks around the world who do things and they go in with this great kind of a human love, but soon they burn out and they're gone. I loved it a few years ago, Nicholas Kristof, who's a columnist for the New York, New York Times, wrote a book called uh, half the sky and it was about when he's a secular man it was about women uh, doing all the things that they're doing around the world but he had a chapter in that book called the god gap and you know why he called it that he didn't quite know what to do he was in some of the worst places in the congo and some of the worst places in sudan and here were women pouring out their lives day after day and he couldn't figure out what kept them there and he finally entitled that chapter the god gap because he didn't know and it was literally what we just sang about, the love of God that poured through them and gave them strength and sustenance every day. Well, it's interesting because uh, the rest of the world, the secular world, is beginning to see what the faith community is doing around the world. I'm in meetings regularly about this. And, and they don't quite know what to do with it, and it's kind of a, a gap. So a few years ago, I was invited along with about five other uh, faith leaders to meet with then the president of the World Bank, Dr. Jim Kim. And he said, I want to meet with you all because he said, uh, first of all, he said, I just want to tell you, he's a Korean American, a hundred years ago, missionaries came to Korea. That's when Korea was just one big peninsula. A hundred years ago, missionaries came to Korea and my grandparents became Christians and our families have been Christian ever since. But he, so he said, but when I first took this job with the World Bank, now the World Bank is, is, is literally the world, and it, they do development all over the world, and it's billions and billions of dollars. You go to D.C., it's many, many buildings in the middle of D.C. But he said, when I first took this job with the World Bank, I looked out and I realized 90% of the health care and education in the world were done by Christians and had been done all these years. And he said, so as a result of that, I have chosen to have a faith-based office right in my own office, not someplace out in the, in the, 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 the conundrum of the, of the bank, 
but right in my office, a faith-based office. I want to keep track of what faith-based people are doing, and we want to work with you. Doesn't say we're going to control you. We want to work with you because somehow you're, there's a third element. I, use, I refer to it as the triple bottom line. You're looking at impact, social impact, and economic impact, and you're looking at your own transparencies and how you handle the money. But there's another bottom line, and that's the transformation that takes place that only God can do. And it's that, that triple bottom line. It's that, that mystery that God does. And that's what they're beginning to see, but they don't quite know what to do with it. So uh, we sat, I sat there, and I listened to that, and I thought, this is really fascinating. And I've seen this, and I'll share with you some other groups and some other things that have been happening. But a funny thing then, in this faith-based office that they have, and that's been several years now, so last October, I'd just come in from giving a, a paper at Messiah College, and I came in, I got this phone call. It was from the woman at the head of the faith-based office at the World Bank. They were getting ready to have their annual meeting of all the people coming in. And she said, Joanne, I feel the Lord told me to do this. I always love it when somebody says, the Lord told me about you. You know, I never quite get that. I, had, I didn't know it. I hadn't felt it. But anyway, but she said, the Lord told me because they had some big famous person that was supposed to give the keynote address at the World Bank, the annual meeting of the World Bank. And that famous person from someplace else in the world couldn't make it. And she said, the Lord told me that you're to do this. Well, I trembled and fell in a chair. This is big time stuff. What in the world am I going to do? And the subject that you want me to talk about was uh, the important role that faith has in development, particularly training pertaining to women's empowerment and inclusion in fragile context. Okay, I've seen this. I've seen a lot of women who've done a lot around the world and nobody ever says anything about them but they've made change. So I began to pray, Lord, what should I say? Well, the first thing, when we're talking about a fragile context, we're talking about countries that are in war. We're talking about all of this. And then my mind went back. Why would the, faith com why would the secular community question what we're doing? Isn't that what we were called at the very beginning? Jesus said, you are called to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's part of why we're involved in the global community. And then Paul says in Romans how Christ accomplishes his work. He accomplishes it through word and deed. Don't forget about the deed. People will hear the word when they experience the deed many times. Signs and wonders, miracles. God does miracles in these places all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when the power of the Holy Spirit is poured through, this is what we see. So my mind went immediately to the country of Liberia. Liberia went through a 14-year bitter, 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 bitter civil war. No, not many people in the rest of the world knew it, but the country at that time only had about 3 million people, and 250,000 died. Now just think of that, con that, that uh, ratio right there. And it was terrible. Uh, 250,000 died, I said, and, and most entire country, almost 3 million, were displaced in some way. Men were the primary participants of the war. The women were the individuals who carried the impact of the war. They had to watch their children, their sons, be conscripted as child soldiers into the war. And then they would see their sons come back to their own communities, drugged up, and kill everybody in the community. They had to live with that. Their husbands were taken, and most of the times they were hacked up. They had to watch their girls taken as sex slaves and work as sex slaves at night and fight in the war in the daytime. Finally, one morning, 
in a little church in Monrovia, Liberia. Lee May Bowie, with eight other women, said they were praying, and they said these words. In the past, we were silent, but after being killed, raped, dehumanized, dehumanized, and infected with diseases, and watching our children and families destroyed, war has taught us that the future lies in saying no to violence and yes to peace. We will not relent until peace prevails. And out of that little church, those eight poor women, we're going to take this on. And they did, and they began to gather women, and thousands of women joined them from the, from the refugee camps and the, and, and the IDP camps, all of this. They were all poor women, no powerful women of, of money in this, all poor Liberian women. One of the first things they did, they mobilized thousands of women to go to the fish market and pray and sing every day. For months they did this. Then they found out there were going to be some peace talks in Ghana. So they said, we're going to go to those peace talks. Were they invited? Absolutely not. They were not invited. Warlords, UN people, all the high-level people were invited. But they took themselves and they went there. And if you want to see more about this, there's a great movie called Praying the Devil Back to Hell. And you can see this in that. And they, they struggled, and they worked, and the, they, the people that were in charge tried to get rid of them. After all, they're just women. They're just poor women. Who are they? But they prevailed, and God moved in their midst. And I'm here to tell you, war ended, and ultimately they were the ones that were credited for it. Mrs. Bowie, who started the whole thing, received the Nobel Peace Prize in 2011. And Charles Taylor, who was the impetus of all this war in Sierra Leone, in Liberia and in Sierra Leone, is now at The Hague in prison for 50 years for war crimes. I want to say, this is God's people at work without resources, but saying the love of God compels us. The global faith community teaches us how to love. The HIV-AIDS deaths have decreased by more than 55% since the peak in 2004 with 1.7 million deaths. I'll never forget being in a meeting in New York with Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, and Kofi Annan, who was then the head of the UN. I would not call them our spiritual leaders. But do you know what they said in that meeting? They said, we cannot do this without the church. We need you. First of all, you're a good distribution center. <laughs> you're a good distribution because the churches are every place. And second, you love, you care. You do this because you care. You're embedded in the communities. And so that's exactly what has happened. And one, this past year, the deaths for HIV AIDS was 770,000, 770,000. But I want, it's not over. But I want to tell you, as everybody came to the table on this, and particularly the faith community, and George Bush was the president at that time, he began to call all of us in, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. And we did, we responded. But it was the people on the ground, it was the people of faith who had love, who were suffering, that were on the ground, that really made an end. We were able to get the antiretroviral drugs to everybody. Now, those had only been open for people who had resources, for people who were rich, for people out there, but not the people out in the most remote village who are dying of AIDS. And I'll never forget going to a remote village. And when I got there, they wanted me to meet this woman. 
and she walked up, and I didn't know her story. They said, you got to know about her. A few months ago, she was nearly dead. Her husband had HIV. He had infected her, and she had four children, and she couldn't take care of her children. So this is, this is what love does. This is what the poor do. So they said, we're, gonna, we're, we're sure she's going to live, and we're taking her children, and we're taking care of her children. Now, the antiretroviral viral drug was 12 miles away. There was no way this woman could walk to the clinic to get, the, get it. So this healthcare worker, this young man, I loved him. He had a bicycle. Now, his bicycle was not anything like you've seen. It's like a bicycle I rode when I was a little kid. So that's been many, many years ago. Just a simple, simple bicycle. And it had a little, little a trailer on the back, or a little uh, seat on the back. And he started explaining to me. His eyes just lit up. And he said, I want you to know. I took Mrs. Mufti, and she couldn't walk. And he said, I fixed a pillow, and I strapped her on the back so she wouldn't fall. And I, fi I still can't figure out how it happened. And he said, I took her three times a week, 12 miles one way, to get the shot. But he said, you know what I did? I prayed for her the whole time. I was riding that bicycle there. And he said... And soon we began to see change, and soon we began to see change. And he said, I'll never forget the day when she could sit up. <laughs> and he said, I, I carefully helped her to sit up. And the day that I saw her, she walked up to greet me, introduced me to her four kids. You know what? In the, in the secular world, actually, they referred to this as the Lazarus effect. I had to explain that one time. I said it in a secular meeting. They said, what is that? What is Lazarus? So I told the story of Lazarus and Jesus right there with all those non-believers. They, they got a Bible lesson that day. <laughs> the Lazarus effect. And this happened over and over and over. But why? Because people cared and loved. That's part of being a part of the global community. You, my friends, this morning belong to 2.3 billion followers of Jesus around the world. That's your family. That's the global community. Yes, you're Americans or you're whatever, but that's secondary. I'm sorry to say that because I know we're trying to make America great again. But, but I'm talking about our global community. You're part of the global community. You're part of the Jesus people. And so that's, who, that's where your heart is. That's where you are. Now, we, we want to do these good things in America. I'm not against that at all. But don't forget where you belong. Don't forget where you belong. Those are your brothers and sisters. Ebola hit Sierra Leone about five years ago. We, you all remember the Ebola crisis. They started calling the World Hope Office and saying, it's coming. We know it's coming. It's just been in Liberia. We don't know. We need help. Can we get some resources? I'll never forget the CEO of World Hope at that, who's there now. He called me and he said, I called a church just to see if we could get a little money so we get started. And this pastor said, oh, no, it's never going to bother us here. It'll just be over there. That pastor didn't realize that he belonged to the global community. He belonged to his brothers and sisters who were going to suffer. Well, shortly after that, somebody from Liberia came to Dallas with Ebola, and it melted the entire health system of Dallas, Texas, because nobody knew what to do with Ebola. That pastor called about two days later and said, hey, I got $10,000 for it if you want something. So you know what happened was suddenly he realized, hey, it's going to hit me. He hit me. 
Now, this is where we have to really think what's going on in the global com community, but we're brothers and sisters, that's us. It does impact us, whether it really comes to our doorstep or not. It's part of our family. Paul said, uh, when one suffers, we all suffer. That's our family. That's who we are. Well, Ebola did hit Sierra Leone, and it was rough. And there were estimates of hundreds of thousands of people dying. One of the ways in which uh, where the infection would spread was when the person died, the body became more contagious than even when the body was, when you were alive. And so one of the traditions in Sierra Leone and much of Africa and many places around the world is when there's no, no embalmment or anything. And so the family washes the body, takes care of the body, they give their, kiss the body, they give their final love for the per person and bury them. Well, immediately the military came in and said, you can't do that. And, and it, the military was right, they couldn't. But there had to be another way to do this. So what happened was the military would come in, bury all the people, and as soon as the military was out of the way, the people would go out to the grave, unearth those bodies, bring them out of the grave, and do what they'd traditionally done. Well, this just spread like crazy. So the pastors got together. And also, uh, Sierra Leone is 60% uh, Muslim, and so they brought them imams together. And they went to the president, and they said, can we do this? Can we help the people? Uh, and not have the military come. And they went to the president and they said, we promise you we will try to be as faithful as we can, but we believe that if we, uh, we pray and we quote the scriptures, the people trust us. You see, that was one of the things during the HIV AIDS crisis that people kept saying, it's the pastors that have the most influence. They all go to church. 85% of these people hear these pastors every Sunday. And that was what was happening in Sierra Leone. So finally they agreed. And I'm here to tell you that as they, they began to talk and began to talk about faith and began to read the scriptures, and the people listened. And so they, 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 they worked in the ways that they should work and did not do those, those traditional practices they had done with the body. This has been so interesting because the Academy of Services in the UK did a study on this and stated that that would be like our CDC in this country, stated that this action prevented an estimated 57,000 Ebola cases and 40,000 deaths in Sierra Leone. That's the faith community at work. Also, I heard stories during that time, and I want to thank you because the chapel right here gave us $30,000 for an ambulance during that time. The country of Sierra Leone only had two ambulances in the whole country. One of the first things that we had to do was get ambulances so people could be taken around. And you all didn't, and that ambulance is still working today. I just, I was there the first week in November and saw that ambulance. I didn't ride in it, but uh, didn't need to. But I saw that ambulance that the chapel of IWU had given. So thank you. Give yourself a hand for that. See, you cared for the world and you didn't even know it, some of you who weren't here at that time, but thank you. It continues to save lives. But I remember one ambulance driver talking about how he had this, this van full trying to get them, and we started putting in smaller uh, tents and connections so that people could, and began to save lives in that way. But I'll never forget this ambulance driver, and he had five people in there, and he started talking about how they started getting sick, and they started getting sick, and they started getting sick, and he prayed. All five people in that ambulance died but him. 
he didn't die. And he said God protected him, or if, if he would have died at the wheel, he doesn't know what all would have hurt other people. It's interesting what God does in these times of crisis. This is our family. This is working together. Another command that our Lord gives us, as a global follower of Jesus, we are the ones who have been commanded to care for creation of our Lord. While in the developed world, we have the privilege of debating all the time the issues of climate change. Is it real? Is it not? Is it da-da? But I have been in the world where people are dying. They don't have the right to debate. They're dying because of what's happening in climate and care and the care for creation. I'll never forget being in Zambia and watching this woman. The drought was horrible. There was no way. And she had to scavenge every day for six, five or six hours just to find enough food for her family. And I watched her as she was going to try to make her little garden. And at that time, that community didn't have a well. They didn't have any water. And she took her little shovel and kept trying to go down into that, to that ground and drop some seeds. Hopefully, in, in the next season, she would have something to eat. You see, she didn't have any choice to debate about it. She was living the results. Now, what did God tell us? And I know there's lots of debate, and I'm not here to get into the debate. I'm here to just to say, what did God say in Genesis? I created all this beauty for you, and I've asked you to take care of it. He didn't ask the UN, although they're involved in things. He didn't ask them. He asked God's people, the people of God. We should be leading in this and care for the creation, our creation of what God has given us, the care for that. And he's called us to that. Well, I just want to say, as you move out in love in this world, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to risk. You'll have to risk some things. Because in our world today, in our culture today, we like hate more than we like love. In fact, love and compassion is seen as weak. But the heart of God is love and compassion. And we cannot succumb to what we see that hate and war and all of this kind of thing, hate in these ways, is strong. It is not. Hate is, strong, is not strong. Hate ultimately kills. Love and ultimately conquers and the compassion of God several years ago in Sudan and some of you will remember probably 20 years there was this horrible genocide that took place in Darfur many 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 people worked there and many it looked hopeless but I heard just the other day finally the person that was doing the genocide has now been sentenced to prison in the Hague again and is going to serve time and finally the people now have new life it takes time when you're, oh, but you know what? Paul tells us in Romans, we overcome evil with good. And I just want you to know evil is out there, but God hasn't called us to succumb to the evil. He's called us to overcome it because we overcome it with God. I'll never forget being in, in Cambodia with the, the beginnings of the whole human trafficking thing. I didn't even, we didn't even know what to call it. But God called us, and I will never forget going down, and I don't have really go fast here, but going down that dusty road with structures on each side and children sitting in those plastic chairs for sale. This is back in 1996. There were three women with me and Jim Lowe, and uh, we held hands on a street corner. And Jim was tired and not and getting ready to go home, and we were all old ladies. Three old ladies, a tired missionary. That's a weak prayer group. But God is strong. 
And in that prayer group, I'm telling you, we prayed and we said, Lord, this evil, we're coming up against this evil. We don't know what to do with it, but we're coming up against this evil. Only you can do something. I could tell you many, many, many stories about that and what God is doing. And God is at work today all over the world. And this and many of you are working in the anti-trafficking, human trafficking thing, and it will be overcome. We will, we will win. God will win in this. I want to tell you we will. A few years ago, I was back in Cambodia, and someone said to me, Joanne, how, have you been, I was there, I was there a lot, I've been in and out a lot, 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 but I hadn't been down to that road again. And so a few years ago when I was there, they said, you need to go back to that road where you first started all this. And I went down to that road. And that road, I couldn't believe it, no more structures, no more children sitting in chairs. Children were playing in the street like normal children. And they said, now we want to take you to what had been the most vile brothel in that area. And I knew where it was. We went over there, and you know what that most vile brothel is? It is a church. And I said to that Cambodian pastor, I said, what in the world? Walked in there, that's all been redone, it's a church. And I sat there with his family, and I said, what in the world compelled you to do this? And he said, well, God just called us to move into the neighborhood. Have you ever thought about the power of the Holy Spirit in you, where you live? I, I couldn't get away from that text that says in John 1, uh, and uh, the message translates it this way, about the Word became flesh, about Jesus. Eugene Peterson translates it this way, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> and I thought that's what this Cambodian pastor and his family have done. Transformation taken place. And then he took me to this gym. He said, this is the Lord's gym. Oh, okay, I didn't know God had a gym. Anyway, he has big heavy weights. God does. And uh, he said, this is the Lord's gym. And then he started in, traffickers come in here. Oh, okay, well, I don't like traffickers, you know. And uh, he said, traffickers come in here. They lift weights. He said, traffickers are no longer going to Vietnam and buying girls. In his broken Cambodian language, trying to English. He said, uh, traffickers are now staying home and working construction, taking care of their families. Traffickers come to church all the time. Traffickers come to Bible study. And so a typical American, I said, oh, you mean they've become followers of Jesus? And he looked at me like, that's what I've been trying to tell you all the time here, you know. How many times do we get stuck on it? It has to be certain words, you know. The transformation that took place. And I could not help but think of an old, old hymn that has a text in it that says, the vilest of sinners who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. You see, I never prayed for traffickers. I didn't like them. They're evil, but they aren't beyond redemption. That's what we're talking about this morning, love. Great passage in Psalms. And when you start to read, going through the scriptures about all the poor, there were 3,000 verses in the scriptures that talk about the poor and how God has called us. Psalm 82 is a powerful one. It says, defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and depressed. That's about advocacy. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. My friends, that's your joy your great opportunity these days 
as you belong to the family of God of 2.3 billion people around the world and yet the billions beyond that that need your love and care. God bless you.